and welcome to edition number 1944 of the Whitney Talking News that we're recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 12th of January. I'm Peter Bean, I edit this edition and beside me at the recording controls is Peter Brading. Now this week we've got stories from Coggs, Burford, Bampton, Blenheim, Carterton and many other places in our area about a uh, housing developments, rain, speed signs, a new play park and many more. Our four readers this evening are Mallory Palmer, Byron Russell, Marnie Leach and John Ashwell. So, Valerie, let's get on the way with, with, with the, the planning problems that they're facing in COGS. Yes, the headline is A Scheme for 450 Home New Neighbourhood Put on Hold. Plans to build an estate of 450 homes in Whitney have been put on hold over fears too many houses are being squeezed onto too small a site. The Lord Trustees and the Trustees of Northfield Life Interest hope to develop two parcels of agricultural land, the so-called Cox Triangle and Cox South, to the east of Whitney. The scheme will provide up to 450 homes, including 40% affordable homes, housing up to 1,080 people. The applicant said the development represented a great opportunity to create a diverse new neighbourhood in Whitney. Planning officers recommended refusal of the outline application when it went before councillors last week. A report from planning officer Joan Desmond raised concern over whether the volume of homes could be accommodated on the site. The report said the proposal failed to demonstrate a high-quality design and development that would be sustainable or provide an integrated community as a positive addition to Whitney. It said it did not provide good enough connectivity for pedestrians and cyclists or mitigations against harm to biodiversity. However, the Lowlands Planning Committee voted to defer this decision. The council had previously agreed with the applicants in August 2022 to extend the time the council had to come to a recommendation. But it said that no further revisions or submissions had been sent in since talks in September. The authority pressed ahead with its report dated December the 20th. But property consultancy Carter Jonas hit back in a letter dated January the 2nd, expressing dismay at being informed on December the 21st without any prior notice or indication and ahead of its Christmas closure that the case would go to councillors on January the 4th with a recommendation for refusal. The submission included revised plans, an updated ecology report, amended biodiversity calculations, and plans for improved pedestrian and cycle facilities, as well as the request that councillors delay any decision until the new plans are considered. In its submission, Whitney Town Council said it was broadly supportive of the application. However, it asked for a condition that no work be started until the Shores Green slip roads were complete. Thames Water should carry out sewage upgrades and it would like to see a condition that the developer creates vehicular and pedestrian access to Windrush Cemetery. 
It also raised questions about pedestrian and cycle links to the town centre and Sainsbury's that were proposed at the time. The NHS Oxfordshire Clinical Commissioning Group, responsible for planning healthcare services, also objected unless additional investment was raised through developer contributions in expanding local GP services. Primary care is at capacity in Whitney and requires additional infrastructure to provide capacity for population growth, its submission said. A report by the District Council Planning Policy Manager said plans for a community hub had received strong local support, but they needed to be satisfied there was a demand and that it would not divert custom from COGS. The report said, We continue to strongly advocate the construction of one community hub which would provide a small farm shop convenience store, butchers, small cafe, etc., as well as potential space for homeworking opportunities linked to the cafe. The hub could also be closely linked to community spaces outside, such as the play area, allotments, open space, so it becomes part of a wider community area, making this even more attractive for families as a destination and therefore more resilient. Aaron, you've got a weather warning for us. I have indeed, yes. Um, A warning about wet feet, in fact. And the headline reads, Wet Feet Warning. Days of rain flooded paths around Whitney Lake. But they did make for a beautiful photograph. And as part of the article, there's a lovely picture of trees silhouetted against the setting sun and sunlight sparkling on the water. However... Whitney Town Council issued a warning to walkers that they could end up with wet feet. It said, Please be aware that parts of the path around Whitney Lake are not passable due to flooding. In some places, the path is not distinguishable from the water, and it is deeper than welly level, and therefore dangerous to try to walk through. With rain forecast for every day last week, On New Year's Eve, flood alerts were in place for Clanfield Brook in Clanfield and the Shill Brook in Bampton. Fields around the Thames and tributaries from Buscot Wick down to King's Lock above Oxford were flooded, with alerts in place for Buscot, Kelmscott, Radcott, Chimney, Northmoor, Stanton Harcourt, Bablock Hythe, Ensham, Swinford and Yarnton. So, Marnie, you've got a story about somebody who quite likes this weather. Yes, I've got a mud bath for baby, accompanied by a wonderful picture of a very muddy baby rhino. (laughs) River levels remain high on parts of the River Windrush, with flooding of low-lying paths, roads and land expected to continue especially in areas between Whitney and the River Thames. However, this soggy baby rhino, photographed by Jackie Thomas, was clearly enjoying playing in muddy puddles at the Cotswold Wildlife Park. The zoo near Burford was forced to limit entry to pre-booked tickets this week when its overflow grass car park became waterlogged due to the persistent rainfall. The park said it was monitoring the situation closely and issuing updates on its website and social media. 
John, these new road signs are still causing confusion, aren't they? They are. I have an article headed, Villagers Scratching Heads in Speed Signs Confusion. People in Bampton say they are baffled by contradictory speed signs, with some of the new 20 mile an hour ones spray painted and others seemingly missing. And on that point there's a photograph goes with the article with a 20 mile an hour sign on one side of the road and the other side of the road it's blanked out. The signs were installed by Oxfordshire County Council as part of its £8 million 20 mile an hour programme. The three-year scheme, 20 mile an hour speeds as the new 30 mile an hour for communities where there is local support, with the aim of reducing congestion and air pollution and making roads safer. In July, Whitney became the first town in the county to have the speed restrictions in all residential areas approved by the council. However, council bosses were forced to cover up signs at some of the new 20 mile an hour notices when they were put up next to 30 mile an hour road markings. On the Burford Road, a 20 mile an hour sign was put in for one side of the road, while the other side had a 40 mile an hour sign. Baffled motorists called them a waste of money, stupid and confusing. Now it seems that Bampton residents have been left scratching their heads too. Ted Fenton, who represents Bampton on the District and County Council, said, If you're entering the village from Bryce Norton, the 30 mile an hour sign is on display on the side of the road, but the new 20 mile an hour sign is on the other side, and that has been sprayed over. But if you enter the village from Aston, the signs are both 30 mile an hour signs but in the village itself, there are 20 mile an hour repeater signs all over the place. He added, You would think with the backlash the council got from the rollout of 20 miles an hour in Whitney, they would have got this right by now, instead of confusing drivers. Liam Walker, the Conservative opposition spokesman for highways on the county council, said, In a consultation on 20 mile an hour for Bampton, which was conducted by Oxfordshire County Council, there were only 68 responses with 35 objections and 27 supporting, in addition to five people being concerned and one having no objection and no opinion. Those who took part were also asked if the 20 mile an hour speed limit proposal, if it was implemented, would it likely influence a change to their mode of travel? of which 59 responded that the 20 mile an hour would encourage them to walk or cycle. The 20 mile an hour programme is costing taxpayers £8 million, whilst we have services stretched and our roads covered in potholes. The coalition should be getting the the basics right first time before splashing the cash on the pet projects. The council was approached for comment. New housing plan on open space site. Councillors in Burford are fighting developers for a second time over plans to develop a greenfield site on the town's eastern boundary. Developer Greystoke is applying for outline permission for up to 70 houses, including affordable homes, on land east of Barnes Lane, known locally as Coles Field. In December 2021, The same developer was refused permission to develop the same site 
by West Oxfordshire District Council, WODC. Greystoke appealed, but the appeal was rejected by the planning inspector in August 2022. Burford Town Council said of the latest application, We regard it as a cynical attempt to batter Burford into submission, knowing that we are a small community with limited resources. It said the application should be refused for humanitarian reasons, as this is the, quotes, fifth battle of Colesfield. Other attempts have been made to develop the site, and residents had to endure not knowing what the future held for them, and suffered planning blight if they wished to sell their property. In an extensive response to the application, which has drawn over 60 objections online, the Town Council also raised concerns about incursions into the Cotswold area of outstanding natural beauty and the attack on the Burford Conservation Area. It argued that access through Whitney Street, a narrow country lane, was unsuitable and the A40 junction of White Hill would be upgraded from dangerous to death trap. They cited also pressures on infrastructure, such as schools and medical services. Greystoke said, The proposed development has been carefully designed to respond to the inspector's decision of August 2022. A design and access statement says the development would be a highly desirable place to live for the 21st century and beyond, delivering up to 70 new homes in an integrated and sustainable residential community with a sensitive relationship to the existing settlement. It adds that it will provide a development well connected with the delivery of a new principal access from Whitney Street to the northeast of the site, sustainable transport choices, and a strong landscape structure. It said the recent findings of Inspector Butcher unequivocally demonstrated a pressing need for additional affordable housing. But Burford Town Council disputed the development was necessary. It said, A distinction must be drawn between those who would like to live in Burford and those who must. According to WODC's strategic housing officer, they number 18. They also said the town had increased its affordable housing over the past 10 years and questions whether it would meet the definition of affordable. If affordable housing is set at 80% of open market value, then in Burford, affordable housing is 800,000 or more, they said. And now a story about drugs. And the headline is, Drugs dealer who overtook police left waft of weed. A drugs warehouseman was caught after he overtook an unmarked police car, leaving a waft of cannabis in his wake. When police searched James Hall's home in December, they discovered drugs with an estimated street value of £6,000. Despite the high resale value, the 24-year-old initially told detectives that the drugs were for his personal use, or that he would offer friends sniffs of cocaine when they came round to visit. By the time Halls of Milton under Witchwood came before Oxford Crown Court on Friday of last week, he was no longer claiming that the drugs were for his own consumption. Instead, in a basis of plea, he accepted dealing cannabis 
and some cocaine, but said the heroin and crack cocaine was being stored for other dealers. He was paid £400 to store packages of drugs for a dealer higher up the chain and always intended to give them back to the dealer, but hadn't seen him to do so. Halls pleaded guilty to possession with intent to supply Class A and B drugs. Prosecutor Stephen Malloy said two police officers were in an unmarked car driving on the A4260 on December the 8th when Halls came up behind them. He was said to be driving erratically, made a dangerous overtake, leaving behind a smell of cannabis and then drove off at speed. The officers noted the registration number, which, according to police intelligence, was linked to the suspected supply of hard drugs in West Oxfordshire. He was pulled over with drugs found in the car. Further drugs, including a golf ball-sized package of cocaine, were found at his home. His mobile phone was analysed by police experts. It had been used to send marketing messages to addicts, with texts featuring common terms like active to mean the dealer was available to process customers' orders. Jailing him for 32 months, recorder John Ryder KC said, You entered a basis of plea which in summary asserts you were a heavy cannabis user who had accrued a debt to your supplier that you supplied cannabis, doubtless in part at least to fund your own habit, and also small amounts of cocaine. You warehoused other drugs, Class A drugs, at your premises for the people to whom you owed the debt. I am sceptical about that basis of plea, but even on its own terms, you accept supplying drugs of Class A and Class B cocaine and cannabis, and assisting in the supply of heroin by providing a safe house in which it could A, be stored, and B, plainly packaged, given there was other paraphernalia there. Mitigating, Christopher Cambridge said his client had been a heavy cannabis user, still a young man, he was relatively lightly convicted, as it was his first time before a Crown Court judge. Fall in jabs to fight off cancer-causing virus. Vaccine uptake for the sexually transmitted disease, HPV, has significantly fallen in Oxfordshire from pre-pandemic levels, new figures show. Joe's Cervical Cancer Trust said the decline in uptake must be reversed quickly, so progress in decreasing instances of cancer caused by HPV is not lost. Girls in England are offered free HPV jabs at school during years 8 and 9, when they are aged between 12 and 14. Data from the UK Health Security Agency shows 76.9% of year 9 girls in Oxfordshire had both HPV jabs in the 2021-22 to 22 academic year. It means 1,043 of the 4,506 girls in the cohort were not fully vaccinated. The jab rate was down from 83.8% the year previous 
and below pre-pandemic levels in 2018 to 19 when uptake was at 89.5%. Some girls were given the second shot in year 10 due to the impact of school closures. 84% of this cohort across Oxfordshire had both jabs. The HPV vaccination protects against the human papilloma virus which is responsible for warts, most cervical cancer cases as well as some other rarer cancers. Samantha Dixon, Joe's Cervical Cancer Trust chief executive, said cases of cervical cancer have fallen 87% in vaccinated women. so progress cannot be lost more education about the hpv vaccine and how it can protect against cervical cancer could help reduce vaccine hesitancy and tackle barriers to uptake mr miss dixon said the hpv vaccine combined with cervical screening gives us the opportunity to prevent many cases of cervical cancer and save many lives across the country about 67.3% of year 9 girls were fully vaccinated last year a drop from the level seen 3 years before when 83.9% had both shots dr vanessa saliba consultant epidemiologist at the UK HSA said in recent years we have seen vaccine coverage fall due to the challenges posed by the pandemic many young people who missed out on their vaccinations have already been caught up but more needs to be done to ensure all those eligible are vaccinated People are eligible for the jabs up until their 25th birthday. The vaccine works and will save lives, Ms Saliba said. New Blenheim Adventure Play Area to bring new jobs. A new adventure play area will open at Blenheim Palace this spring, bringing with it new jobs. Set inside the estate's historic walled gardens, The Lost Garden will include quirky wooden structures, interactive water features, play trails and winding walkways. The attraction includes a viewing platform, an interactive sensory garden walk and an oversized kitchen garden inspired secret play area with giant carrots, sunflowers and pots. At the center will be a replica of Vanbrugh's Grand Bridge. and a large seating terrace overlooking the central water play feature an elevated wilderness play area has aerial walkways rope bridges tunnels and triple racing zip lines to appeal to older children and provide views across the parkland there will also be a refreshment kiosk with outdoor seating among the new roles are deputy guest services manager guest services supervisor adventure play host groundkeeper and a cleaner 
Lennon Palace Managing Director Heather Carter said, The Lost Garden is the biggest new outdoor attraction we have created at Blenheim Palace and will provide a fun and exciting adventure play area for younger visitors from toddlers to teenagers. The Lost Garden has been created by Norfolk-based Cap.co Design and built on a site by Kidlington construction firm Kinglier. Now two pieces of news in brief. Pitch tractor stolen at Village Cricket Club. A tractor has been stolen from a village cricket club. The vehicle was taken from Ancient Cricket Club in Cassington Road between 3pm on Monday, January the 2nd and 1pm on Tuesday, January the 4th. The red vehicle was used by the club for maintaining the field. Thames Valley Police's Rural Crime Task Force is investigating the theft and appealed for any witnesses to come forward. It was stolen between 3pm on January the 2nd and 1pm on January the 4th. We are appealing for witnesses or anyone with knowledge. You can phone 101 or contact Crime Stoppers anonymously. And now for a happier um, item. Raffle boosts run some. Youth Football Club Whitney Vikings were overwhelmed with donations for a raffle to kickstart fundraising for one of the boys' dads who is running the London Marathon. Dave Edwards will be running the marathon in April for Prostate Cancer UK in memory of his father Eddie, who died last July. The raffle had aimed to raise 50 to £60, pounds, with prizes of a bottle of wine, a box of biscuits and a set of bath bombs. However, 44 prizes were soon donated by 26 companies, and when the raffle was drawn by the players on New Year's Eve, it raised £1,070. Coach Chris Miles said, It's an amazing achievement. And now there's more good news for those who like an exotic tipple, and the headline reads, Cocktail Bar Undergoes a Freshen Up. A cocktail bar in Carterton closed for a week of refurbishment. Grapes and Tomatoes, also known as G&Ts, in Alverscott Road said it was giving the bar a freshen up so we can start the year off perfect for you all. The bar closed on New Year's Day and reopened on Friday, January the 6th. The wine and cocktail bar has live music, DJ sets, open mic nights and special events throughout the year. It was opened in 2020 by four Bryce Norton servicemen, Jimmy O'Brien, Dylan Bartle, Steve Forster and Wayne Carter. The parachute jump instructors had between them almost 100 years of experience in the RAF. Mr O'Brien told the Oxford Mail, Myself and Dylan had the idea of the bar. We actually joined the RAF on the same day in April 2000 and we became best mates. We often discussed what it would be like to own a bar and what sort of things we'd like to do. The bar is something for the community to enjoy, something we thought that the town was missing. We wanted a place that was a little bit different and to bring in a city vibe. It's been really nice. There's been a great family feeling to the place. Before the pandemic, the bar was nominated for the New Business Award at the West Oxfordshire Business Awards. 
Now there's some more good news. Town freezes its council tax amid cost of living rise. Whitney Town Council has voted to freeze its council tax precept amid the cost of living crisis. Whitney residents will not pay any extra tax to the town council during the 2023-24 municipal year. The decision was agreed at a full council meeting on January the 4th. The town council offers a range of community and recreational services to residents, many of which do not generate any income. They include allotments, cemeteries, civic and community events, grants to voluntary organisations, sports pitches, public halls, 11 recreation grounds, planning matters, consultee on planning applications for the planning authority, the town hall and street scene. In the current inflationary environment, it has also seen its own costs increase significantly. The budget-setting meeting heard that the town council finances are in a strong and healthy position. Leader of the council, Councillor Vicky Gwatkin, said, With the challenging economic climate hitting everybody hard and town council finances able to absorb some cost increases, it makes total sense to freeze the precept at its current rate. Maternity units finally reopen after a year being idle. Two midwifery-led units in Oxfordshire have finally reopened after a period of temporary closure. The Wantage and Chipping Norton Cotswell Birth Centre, both run by Oxfordshire University Hospitals NHS Foundation Trust, were closed to families for low-risk births in August 2021 due to stopping constraints. Having worked with regional NHS colleagues, the Care Quality Commission and Oxfordshire Joint Health Overview and Scrutiny Committee, the Trust now has a safe level of staffing to provide safe care at these units. Catherine Greenwood, Clinical Director for Maternity at the Trust, said, We are really pleased to be able to offer greater birth choices for parents with the reopening of our midwifery-led units in Wantage and Chipping Norton. We appreciate that these two units have been temporarily closed for a long time and we apologise wholeheartedly to the families who were impacted by this and anyone unable to give birth in their preferred location. Any decisions about service provision are made with patient and staff safety being the number one priority and we know from the national picture that there will be future challenges related to workforce. We are committed to delivering the safest care possible and we have been frustrated at not being able to provide the full service that we have wanted to. Girl rides pony in front of thousands at London's parade. A young pony rider dressed as a Disney character rode past crowds in London gathered for the New Year Day's parade. Faith Wilkinson, 6, from Bampton, dressed as Mirabelle from Encanto, rode her miniature Shetland pony Harry through the streets 
as a member of All the Queen's Horses, created in 2012 to mark the Queen's Diamond Jubilee and London 2012 Olympics. The parade saw more than 8,000 performers, including marching bands, dancers, cheerleaders, acrobats and pearly kings and queens, entertain crowds along the route. This year's event is thought to have attracted more than 500,000 spectators. The three-hour parade in the heart of London wove through the streets, trailed by huge balloons, music and confetti. The route began at Piccadilly, then headed east to Piccadilly Circus, before moving south down Regent Street and St James's, passing Pall Mall to the finish point at Westminster. Some 30 horses joined in, fewer than the usual 60, as it was the first in-person event for two years. Faith was led by Harry's owner, Emma Hines, and her mother, Abby. Miss Hines from Whitney said, Faith had the most amazing time and looked adorable, dressed as Mirabelle from Disney's Encanto. Now, this week's editor's piece is taken from the archives of the Oxford Times, and it refers to an event that happened on the 16th of January, 1879, when the elderly rector of Tackley, the Reverend Lancelot Sharp, was obliged to to extract a commercial traveller from under his bed. Earlier in the evening, his butler, Noble Rose, had made his usual check that the house was properly secured for the night. But spotting a ladder propped against the wall of the house, directly under the master's bedroom window, Rose upbraided the gardener who'd been cleaning the windows. But the gardener claimed he'd locked the ladder away in the, ro- in, in, in the tool house some time before. A search of the house was therefore made, but no intruder was found, and the servants went back downstairs. The Reverend Sharp announced that he had better check under the bed, whereupon his wife trilled playfully, Come on out, boy! A gruff voice from under the bed replied, It's not a boy, it's a man! As a 47-year-old Alfred Tucky emerged, The 72-year-old rector sprang on him, grabbed him by the throat, and the butler rose and reappeared and overpowered the intruder, but not without incurring a bullet wound in his thigh. Since the witness encounter suggests that the break-in occurred at about a quarter to nine, uh, and and therefore constituted housebreaking, Tucky was sentenced to five years' penal servitude only. Had the intrusion taken place after nine o'clock in the evening, Tucky would have been guilty of burglary, and the sentence could have been made much more serious. It was accepted that the revolver had gone off accidentally during the scuffle. And now it's time for this week's notice board, And we've got one birthday in the week to come, and that's on January the 20th, and it's Mrs. Martin Paul of Whitney, and we wish you many happy returns and hope you have a splendid day. And we've got rather a lot of deaths to announce this week. 
um, from, from the Whitney Gazette and were obviously very sad to announce the following deaths. Firstly, on the 17th of December, Michael James Fletcher, aged 78, of Chipping Norton. On the 23rd of December, Patricia Maureen Evans, aged 81, of Blackborton. On the 26th of December, Dennis Pizzi, aged 91, of Ducklington. On the 30th of December, Susan Allison Berryman, aged 57, of Whitney. On the 1st of January, Kathleen, known as Kay Miller, aged 79, of Carterton. On the 3rd of January, Linda Sylvia Grant Hoare, aged 75, of Burford. And James Nicholas, known as Nick Ballard, aged 71, of Upper Rissington. And then finally three on the 5th of January, Charles William uh, Fisher, known as Charlie, aged 88, of Whitney. Patricia Johnson, aged 80, of Haley, and Albert, known as Alf Langley, aged 79. And of course, our sincere condolences go to all family and friends of the deceased. And that finally brings us on the notice board to the quiz. <coughs> now, we've got the questions from last week. Any answers will be gratefully received. Question one. Visitors who wish to return to Rome are told they must throw a coin into which fountain? The Triffy Fountain, yes. Question two. Which city contains the house in which Anne Frank and her family hid from the Nazis? Amsterdam, yes. And then thirdly... The Taj Mahal can be visited in which Indian city? Agra. Agra. Question four. In which Canadian town named Cowtown does a famous stampede take place in July of each year? Calgary. Calgary. We're good tonight, aren't we? <laughs> and finally, <coughs> which Asian city is home to nearly half of the... Um, Oh gosh! Uh, ha, ha. Oh, which Alaskan city is, is is home to nearly half of the state's population? Anchorage. Anchorage is right. My goodness! What a bright lot here tonight, aren't we? Eh? Right. Next is this week's quiz, and it's all literary this week. Books. Um, question one. Don't shout out the answers now. In P. G. Woodhouse's books. What type of animal was the Empress of Blandings? Question two. What colour was the whale in Moby Dick? Question three. In Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, what type of bird was used as a mallet to play croquet? And (coughs) question four. Who was the author of Robinson Crusoe? And finally, what is the only Shakespeare play with a British town in the title? (coughs) Right, so that ends this week's notice board, and it's time to move on with the news.
And now we move on to uh, teacher staff shortages, and the headline reads, Teacher job vacancies rise significantly in the past year. Teaching vacancies advertised by primary and secondary schools across Oxfordshire rose significantly last year, new figures reveal. The Association of School and College Leaders, ASCL, said teacher shortages are at crisis point and urged the government to address falling recruitment and retention. Data shows primary and secondary schools in Oxfordshire posted 2,118 vacancies over the course of last year, up by 56% on 1,362 the year before. Of these, 586 were advertised by primary schools and 1,532 by secondary schools. Across England, teacher vacancies increased significantly in 2022 as the profession faced increasing recruitment and retention pressures following the coronavirus pandemic. Job listings increased from 64,283 in 2021 to 107,104 last year. The City of London, which has a very small residential population, was the only area to see the number of advertised teaching vacancies decrease. Some jobs can be listed more than once if they are not initially filled, and not every teaching vacancy is posted to the TeachVac recruitment site. The ASCL said teacher shortages are in crisis, with 95% of schools reporting they have struggled to recruit new teachers in the past. Jeff Barton, General Secretary of the ASCL, said the government repeatedly misses trainee recruitment targets, and nearly a third of new teachers leave the profession within five years of qualifying. Mr Barton said... This is the result of a decade of real-term pay cuts which have eroded the value of salaries and workload pressures caused by government underfunding of education, leaving staff doing more work with fewer resources. If schools cannot put teachers in front of classes, they cannot possibly maintain and improve educational standards. The government must work with the profession on a strategy to improve teacher recruitment and retention and back this up with sufficient funding. Across the country, the increase in teacher vacancies was largely driven by state schools, where job advertisements increased by 68% in 2022, compared to 52% for independent schools. In Oxfordshire, state school advertisements jumped by 51%, while private school vacancies rose by 68%. Dr Patrick Roach, General Secretary of Teaching Trade Union, NASUWT, said the crisis in teacher recruitment and retention is the product of 12 years of failure by a government that has lost the confidence of the teaching profession. Two more pieces of brief news, one light-hearted, the other much more serious. Is it a spud you like? Judge thinks Potato is rock star. The masked singer has returned to screens and speculation is rife that a local cheesemaker could be behind one of the disguises. 
The show involves 12 celebrities dressed as bizarre characters performing, while the panel of Davina McCall, Rita Ora, Jonathan Ross and Mo Gilligan attempt to figure out who they are. But Davina McCall was convinced she knew the identity of Jacket Potato after its first appearance on the show on Saturday. Before the performance, Jacket Potato offered clues about their true identity. Among them were, like all good spuds, I'm smooth, creamy and occasionally baked. And they also pulled out cards saying, Nosy Parker, Pig Face, Silly Billy and Dog Nose. Davina McCall then suggested it could be Alex James from Blur, now a gentleman farmer living in Kingham. However, other guesses included Shane Ritchie, Ray Winston and Jack Whitehall. And the second item, Son Held Over Mum Killing. A man has been remanded in custody accused of murdering his elderly mother in the Cotswolds. Matthew Corrie, 45, appeared before Gloucester Magistrates Court in Cheltenham on Monday, accused of murdering Beatrice Corrie, 84. <clears throat> Mrs Corrie died on the 6th of January after an incident in Chipping Camden. Officers were called to the high street shortly after midnight on Friday and found Mrs Corrie with head injuries. She later died. Corrie of the High Street Chipping Camden was remanded in custody to appear before Bristol Crown Court on January the 11th. And now an article about asking the public for feedback on health and care. People in Oxfordshire are being asked for their views on a set of proposed priorities to support improved health and well-being across the county. The Buckinghamshire, Oxfordshire and Berkshire Integrated Care Partnership, of which Oxfordshire County Council is a member, has developed a draft strategy which which proposes a common set of priorities to help improve people's lives. Councillor Mark Ligo, Oxfordshire County Council's Cabinet Member for Health and Equalities, said it's hugely important that we hear the views of everybody to help appropriately shape the partnership's priorities. By ensuring we can agree on a common set of priorities, we can help to ensure that everyone can have the best possible start in life and live happier, healthier lives for longer. The draft strategy proposes are set out. Uh, sorry, the draft strategy proposes a set of priorities: promoting and protecting health, start well to help children achieve the best start in life, live well to support people and communities to stay healthy for as long as possible, age well to support older people to live healthier, independent lives for longer and improving quality and access to services. The survey is open until January the 29th and people can respond online, request a printed copy from 0300 123 4465 
or email bobix, that's B-O-B-I-C-S dot engagement at N-H-S dot net. The feedback will be published early this year. Prince Harry warns horrific article incites violence. Prince Harry has said Jeremy Clarkson's cruel article in The Sun about wife Meghan encouraged people around the world to believe it was an acceptable way to treat women. In an interview with ITV's Tom Bradby about his autobiography Spare, the Duke of Sussex spoke about the accountability of the British media. He referred to comments made by Mr Clarkson, who wrote that he hated the Duchess of Sussex and dreamed of her being paraded through British towns and publicly shamed. Harry said, When we're talking about accountability, the Jeremy Clarkson article, so not only did what he so not only did what he say was horrific and is hurtful and cruel towards my wife, but it also encourages other people around the UK and around the world, men particularly, to go and think that it's acceptable to treat women that way. To use my stepmother's words recently so well, there is a global pandemic of violent violence against women. It's no longer a case of me asking for accountability, but at this point the world is asking for accountability and the world is asking for some form of comment from the monarchy, but the silence is deafening. The Sun apologised after the piece became the independent press standards organisation's most complained about article. During the ITV interview, Harry said he felt a responsibility to change the media before referencing Caroline Flack, who took her own life in February 2020. A coroner ruled she acted after learning prosecutors were going to press ahead with an assault charge over an incident uh, involving her boyfriend and could not face the press coverage. Of leaving for the US in 2020, Harry said, If living in a new country, minding our own business during lockdown, not saying anything, not doing anything that would affect the British media at all, that every single day there's an attack, well then, the assumption of it going away or moving on isn't the case. And we have more news about Mr Jeremy Clarkson. And the headline reads, Clarkson says his farm cafe plans have been thwarted by the council. Jeremy Clarkson has reportedly told the council he no longer wants to open a restaurant at his diddly squat farm, claiming to have been thwarted by an enforcement notice. Late last year, the former Top Gear broadcaster was ordered by West Oxfordshire District Council to shut a pizza cafe he had been running at his Chadlington farm shop, with officials claiming it breached planning laws and was having a significant impact on the community. The farm, which starred in Amazon's hit series Clarkson's Farm, has been criticised by some villagers concerned about the influx of visitors parking on verges. Council officers issued an enforcement notice ordering him to remove dining-related materials at the farm, although the TV star announced he would appeal the order. But now the broadcaster is said to have admitted defeat.
The Mirror said Clarkson wrote in a letter to WODC, "I no longer wish to open a restaurant." He claimed he had been thwarted by the enforcement notice. It was reported. The 62-year-old had originally filed an application to create a 50-cover restaurant, featuring a kitchen, servery area, and an internal seating area inside a lambing shed at his Didley Squat Farm in September 2021, but was refused. Then, last year, the TV star wrote in a newspaper column he had discovered quote, a delightful little loophole. Enabling him to open a pizza cafe, he found another barn for his venture and notified the council of the restaurant opening. An enforcement notice was issued in the autumn. WODC said it had tried to work with Didley Squat Farms owner and agents for many months, investigating alleged planning control breaches, and advising how the business can be operated in a lawful way. A council spokesman told the Oxford Mail in October, "The business continues to operate outside the planning permissions granted, and advice has been ignored. The activity has also had a significant impact on the local community." Under the terms of the enforcement notice, Clarkson was told to remove mobile toilets, tables that would be used by diners, and other dining-related materials within six weeks of the notice being issued. Didley Squat Farm was also told to stop selling products that do not come from the farm, or that are not produced within 16 miles. The council claimed the nature, scale, and siting is unsustainable and incompatible with its countryside location within the Cotswold area of outstanding natural beauty. Lawyers for Didley Squat appealed to the planning inspectorate, arguing that the notice should be quashed. As a map served by the council was inaccurate, the allegation that the farm changes breached planning laws was denied. Remedial works ordered by the council would seriously affect the business and its employees. It was claimed the farm shop itself closed on New Year's Eve and is due to reopen in early February. <coughs> Two pound lower fares. Oxfordshire is one of the most popular areas for bus passengers using the new two-pound single fare. Stagecoach announced <coughs> over three hundred thousand passengers have taken advantage of the two-pound single fares since the launch of the initiative on January the first. Oxfordshire has been reported as one of the highest-use areas. With customers now able to travel between Oxford and Whitney or Bicester for two pounds one way, <clears throat> the same fare also applies to shorter journeys within Oxford. Another area where the cut price has proved popular is Cumbria, where the five nine nine service from Bowness to Grasmere was named one of the UK's most scenic bus routes. The scheme. Part of the government's Help for Households campaign is offering maximum fares of two pounds for any single bus journey on eligible routes up until March the thirty-first. It is available on around fifty thousand stagecoach bus services a day across England. 
Carla Stockton-Jones, UK Managing Director of Stagecoach, said, We are delighted to see that thousands of people are already making the most of this great initiative. There's never been a better time to try the bus. And with around 10 million people in England living within walking distance of one of our bus stops, we're hoping the people will take the opportunity to get out of their cars and give the bus a try for the bargain price of just £2 for a single ticket. Stagecoach bus tickets can either be bought on the Stagecoach app in advance or on the bus. And finally, a rather um, very unfortunate story here. Pedestrian in her 80s suffers serious injuries. A pensioner was taken to hospital in Oxford after being struck by a van just outside the county border. The woman in her 80s suffered serious injuries after she was hit by a van in the High Street North Leach at 3.45pm on Friday, January the 6th. Gloucestershire Police said. She was taken to the John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford. Her next of kin have been informed. The driver of the van was not injured. A spokesman for Gloucestershire Police asked anyone who witnessed the crash to contact the force. Information, including any dash cam footage of the collision, can be reported via the Gloucestershire Police's website. Well, that's all we've got time for, so please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close that metal shield. And please remember to reverse the plastic address label on the yellow pouch before you post it back to us. And if you could do that as soon as possible, because sometimes we run out of pouches and labels and are unable to continue our service to you. Now, it only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette for the stories we've used tonight. And thanks also to our technical expert, Peter Brading, and our copiers, Ian Rose and Mike Herbert, who will be copying the memory sticks, and to our volunteers, who've been checking the pouches and the memory sticks that you've returned and keeping records in our register. And tonight they were Jenny Wiley and Penny Brading. And finally, our four readers, who were Valerie, Byron, Maroni and John. I know we'd all like to say goodbye, and so until our next edition, goodbye. goodbye. Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, January 7th. Rare Earth is a thriller and family saga set in Greenland. It's on Radio 4 at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The Classic FM Hall of Fame concert with Catherine Bott includes works by Beethoven, Mozart and Chopin. Classic FM at 4pm. 
The Importance of Being Earnest by Oscar Wilde is on Radio 4 Extra at 5. While the opera on 3 is Mayday by Cherubini in a performance from the New York Met. Radio 3, 6.30pm. Archive on 4 is Annie Nightingale's Age of Irreverence, which takes a look at the cultural revolution of the 50s and 60s. It's on Radio 4 at 8pm on Saturday. The crime drama Stone returns for a new series on Radio 4 at 9pm. Well, How Things Are Done in Odessa is the story of the Black Sea port delving into its rich history. It's on Radio 4 at 10.15pm. On to Sunday, January 8th. The heading. Drama barely does justice to the subject of a new three-part serial on the Medici. The subtitle Bankers, Gangsters, Popes gives a clue to an exciting hour with one of history's most notorious families. It's all on Radio 4 at three o'clock. You can spend a golden hour with Tony Blackburn on Radio 2 at 7pm. Well, Stephen Mangan is once again taking confession and tonight's penitent is Lady Antonia Fraser who will confess to three sins. It's all on Radio 4 at 7.15 on Sunday evening. Or you could choose a reimagining and updating of Ibsen's great play Enemy of the People, now entitled Hashtag Public Enemy. It tackles the very topical subject of toxic waste in the water system, corruption, ecology and cancel culture. It's all on Radio 3 at 7.30pm. And Sunday night is music night, and the concert is devoted to music evolving the natural world, with works by Elgar, Coates and others. It's all on Radio 2 at 8pm. On to programmes then that are serialised through the working week, Monday to Friday. Same time, same radio station, all week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Book of the Week is Clubland by Pete Brown, a convivial guide through the history of the working man clubs. Radio 4 at 9.45 in the morning or just after midnight, 12.30 each day. Composer of the Week is on Radio 3 at noon. And this week, it's Mozart. Nature Bang starts a new series which examines the science between phenomena in the natural world and the possible application to humans. It's all on Radio 4, all week, 1.45 in the afternoon. Smooth Classics brings you three hours of calming and relaxing classical music with Zeb Soames, Classic FM, from 7pm all week. And Book of Bedtime. Continuation of Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. Radio 4, 10.45 each night. On to the individual highlights for each day then, starting with Monday, January 9th. In The Invention of Russia, Misha Glennie explores the history of Russia, starting with Moscow in the days before Empire. The first of three parts is on Radio 4 at 11am. Pitch your musical knowledge against the contestants as a new series of Counterpoint starts on Radio 4 at 3 o'clock. Time for comedy with In and Out of the Kitchen, followed by Brothers in Law and Legal, Decent, Honest and Truthful, bringing some fun to the early evening on Radio 4 Extra at 5.30pm. And The Blues Show with Keris Matthews is on Radio 2 at 9pm. Tuesday, January 10th, 
The afternoon concert brings you three hours of varied classical music, including work by Mozart, Handel, Beethoven and Telemann. The concert is on Radio 3 from 2 o'clock. A taught political drama, Border Call, concerning the three-way relationship between Britain, Ireland and Northern Ireland, is on Radio 4 at 2.15. Other stories, Catherine Mansfield provides rather gentler drama on Radio 4 Extra at 3pm on Tuesday. And a gentle comedy, A Cold Swedish Winter, continues on Radio 4 at 6.30pm. It is Tuesday. It means Peter White is back with In Touch on Radio 4 at 8.40pm. On the Jazz Show with Jamie Cullum. Rounds off Tuesday, Radio 2, 9pm. Wednesday, January 11th. A gothic thriller, Dead Weather, can be heard this afternoon. It's set in rural Wales and concerns an abandoned wife, a crow and madness. Radio 4, 2.15. The drama continues with part one of Hawksmoor, Peter Aykroyd's acclaimed novel set in 1711 and the 1980s. Radio 4 Extra at 3 o'clock and part two is also at the same time on Thursday. Back to Wednesday... And for some much-needed laughter, Maureen and Friends has Maureen Lippman performing her comic monologues on Radio 4 Extra at 5.30pm. Followed on Radio 4 Extra by Hancock's Half Hour at 6pm. And the laughter continues with Conservations from a Long Marriage with Joanna Lumley and Roger Allam as a long-married couple. Radio 4, the place to listen to for that one at 6.30pm. And we round off Wednesday with The Folk Show, Mark Radcliffe, Radio 2, 9pm. Thursday, January 12th, the series Crossing Continents brings us a story to lift hearts and give hope. Saving Mafia Lives tells of a judge in Sicily who's been taking children away from Mafia families, a policy which is now being considered by other countries around the world. Radio 4, the place to listen to this one, at 11am. Edward Thomas and the Song of the Path follows it when walking and musical collaborators Johnny Flynn and Robert McFarlane follow the footsteps of poet and singer Edward Thomas using his songs and poems while walking in his footsteps. Again Radio 4, this time at 11.30am. Sliced Bread is a consumer programme which looks for evidence behind some products' bold claims. In this episode, Greg Foote investigates that product we all use, hopefully, shampoo. Radio 4, 12.30 in the afternoon. It's always worth either being reminded of or learning about historical horrors, and Nazis' The Road to Power sets out to do just that. The first of eight episodes is on Radio 4 at 2.15 on Thursday. Open Country takes us on a visit to south-east Scotland to revel in the winter landscape. Radio 4, the place for that, at 3 o'clock. And The Country Show with Bob Harris is on Radio 2 at 9pm. Friday, January 13th, rounds off the week. And thanks a lot, Milton Jones will embroil you in one of Milton's um, helpful schemes. Radio 4, 11.30 in the morning for a bit of comedy. Statistics and numbers are never dull or confusing the hands of Tim Harford, who in more or less exposes false claims and debunks myths. Radio 4, 4.30 on Friday afternoon. 
Sometimes by the end of the week, you really just need a laugh at the news, if only to keep sane. And Andy Zaltzman and guests do just that in the news quiz on Radio 4 at 6.30. The rarely heard opera Gloriana by Britain is performed by the ENO on Radio 3 at 7pm. And if you missed the Wreath Lectures, the second, Freedom of Worship, delivered by Rowan Williams, is on Radio 4 on Friday night at 9pm. That's it for the first week of the new year. Thank you to Angela for the highlights. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable one of radio listening. Hello, this is Val from Otley Talking News with my selection of audio-described TV programmes starting Saturday the 7th to Friday the 13th of January 2023. So let's see if we can find something to interest you in this week's selection, starting with Saturday the 7th of January. For all you Morse fans, you're in luck today, starting at 9.40am with the very first episode, followed by another two episodes at 12 noon and 2.20pm and ending with an episode from Series 2 at 4.40pm. All four episodes are on ITV3. We have the return of the food series celebrating Scottish food and drink with Nick Nairn and Dougie Vipond cooking Asian beef. The Great Food Guys is on BBC One at 11.30am. In the afternoon, there is a natural world film following a mother moose and her calf. Meet the Moose Family is on BBC Two at 3.10pm. Or you may prefer a romantic comedy. After widower Tom Hanks pours his heart out on a radio phone-in, Baltimore journalist Meg Ryan hears the broadcast and recognises a kindred lonely heart. Sleepless in Seattle is on Channel 4 at 3.15pm. Three celebrities try to identify the well-known phrases from the animated clues for the chance to win £50,000 for good causes in Celebrity Catchphrase on ITV1 at 6pm. What about an adventure film? It's 1957 and Indy is after the crystal skull of Akator pursued by Kate Blanchett's Soviet agent. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is the early evening film on Channel 4 at 6.45pm. In the first of tonight's double bill of Midsummer Murders, a walk in the woods leads to tragedy for Emily Simpson, who witnesses something unsettling before being found dead in her cottage. Midsummer Murders starts at 7pm on ITV3. In tonight's hospital drama, Dylan's clinical lead duties are disrupted by a patient from his past, while Rash worries about Aishok's behaviour. Casualty is on BBC One at 9pm. Moving on to Sunday 8th of January. Eight families are challenged to ditch convenience food in Tom Kerridge's Fresh Start at 12.30pm on BBC Two. In this afternoon's comedy film, a widower and his two children move from the city to a wildlife park in California. We Bought a Zoo is on Channel 4 at 1.25pm. Lyra and Will journey through the suburbs of the dead in the fantasy adventure His Dark Materials at 7pm on BBC One. 
Twelve of Britain's home potters compete to become king or queen of the clay in a new series of the Great Pottery Throwdown at 7.45 on Channel 4. Two choices at 8pm. The Nonatus team are concerned as Lucille struggles with her own health in Call the Midwife on BBC One at 8. Or maybe you're interested in archaeology. One of the sites in tonight's programme, visited by Professor Alice Roberts, is Arthur's Stone in the West Country, a chambered tomb thought to predate Stonehenge. Digging for Britain is on BBC Two at eight. The popular Sunday night drama starring Sarah Lancashire continues. The discovery of the gangland murder victim leads Catherine back to Tommy Lee Royce. Happy Valley is on BBC One at 9pm. If you're a Shakespeare fan, my next choice might interest you. Francesco de Mosto reveals how Italy influenced the bard as he visits locations that inspired the playwright. The first part of Shakespeare in Italy is on BBC Four at 10.35pm and is followed by part two at 11.35. Now for a look at those programmes which are on at the same time throughout the week. Homes Under the Hammer is at 11.15am, Bargain Hunt is at 12.15, Escape to the Country is at 3pm and The Repair Shop is at 3.45pm. All these programmes are on BBC One Monday to Friday. Doctors is at 1.45pm, also on BBC One, but Monday to Thursday. Dickinson's Real Deal is on ITV One at 2pm, Monday to Friday. Heartbeat is on ITV Three at 6pm, Monday to Friday. And on BBC Four at 7pm, Great Indian Railways is on Monday and Tuesday and Great British Railways is on Wednesday and Thursday. Let's have a look at Monday the 9th of January. We start this evening by using the little grey cells as Monsieur Poirot would say. Mastermind is on BBC Two at 7.30pm. An Arts and Crafts Caravan is one of the projects featured in a new series of George Clark's Amazing Spaces at 8pm on Channel 4. Two more teams go head-to-head in University Challenge on BBC Two at 8.30pm. In part one of tonight's forensic drama series, an abandoned lorry is found at a quarry with several dead and dying people in it. Nicky and the team must use their pathological and forensic skills to piece together what happened. Silent Witness is on BBC One at 9pm. Part two is at the same time tomorrow. The mammoth renovation of Claridge's Hotel continues at 9pm on BBC Two in the Mayfair Hotel Megabuild. The first part of a new three-part documentary series starts tonight, giving an insight into how the American people and their leaders responded to one of the greatest humanitarian disasters of the 20th century. The US and the Holocaust is on BBC Four at 10pm. On to Tuesday the 10th of January. Waterloo Road is rocked by some shocking news in tonight's episode of the school drama on BBC One at 8pm. Dave Myers and Cy King are in the Norfolk village of East Barsham to meet a couple who have taken on a country pub and are keen to keep the menu fresh. 
The Hairy Bikers Girl Local is on BBC Two at 8pm. The series continues at the same time throughout the week. The second part of Silent Witness is at 9pm on BBC One. The actress Miriam Margulies concludes her quest to explore the Australian ethos of the fair girl, a reasonable chance, in Miriam Margulies' Australia Unmasked on BBC Two at 9pm. We end this evening with one of my favourite comedy dramas. Is there a mole within the ranks of the detectorists? Find out in this episode from Series 1 at 10pm on BBC Two. Now for Wednesday the 11th of January. Starting with a wildlife programme. Rescuers in southern Africa try to treat the fatal broken heart syndrome to which wild dogs separated from their families succumb. Dogs in the Wild Meet the Family is on BBC One at 8pm. Kirsty and Phil meet a couple who can't agree whether it's time to move to a new home in Kirsty and Phil's Love It or List It on Channel 4 at 8pm. Di continues to support Sharon in the third part of tonight's psychological drama The Light in the Hall at 9pm on Channel 4. Continues tomorrow at 9pm. Gordon Ramsay presents a new cookery contest where 12 aspiring chefs do battle in a 50-foot, three-storey kitchen, ranging from a luxury top-level cooking space to a basic basement kitchen. The next level chef is on ITV1 at 9pm. If you're a fan of sci-fi, Star Trek is on Film 4 at 9pm. Now let's have a look at Thursday's programmes, the 12th of January. More entrepreneurs seek investment from the tycoons in Dragon's Den at 8pm on BBC One. The team at Wood Green Pets Charity continue with their mission to find new homes for abandoned dogs. The Dog House is on Channel 4 at 8pm. Now for some historical drama. As the Royal Family holidays at Fontainebleau, Marie's hostilities with Dubarry threaten to sour things with the King. Marie Antoinette continues at 9pm on BBC Two. A documentary programme investigating true crimes returns for a second series tonight. Amelia Fox, criminologist Professor David Wilson and Dr Graham Hill investigate the Templeton Woods murders from 1979. In the Footsteps of Killers is at 10pm on Channel 4. And finally, we come to Friday the 13th of January. In a new series, the team returns to look at the secrets behind some of the nation's favourite food, in Food Unwrapped at 8pm on Channel 4. Some more sleuthing as a body is found in a vineyard in Father Brown at 8pm on the Drama Channel. We return to Sicily tonight, where Amanda Holden and Alan Carr are getting into the renovation of their two crumbling apartments. Amanda and Alan's Italian job is on BBC One at 8.30pm. A new panel show starts tonight where John Richardson and Lucy Beaumont invite two celebrity couples to go head-to-head to decide who has the best relationship. John and Lucy's Odd Couples is on Channel 4 at 9pm. We end the week in the Caribbean as D.I. Neville Parker and the team investigate yet another murder. Death in Paradise is on BBC One at 9pm. TNF Soundings. 